Welcome to Shared Instance, a podcast on iOS development by three iOS developers in Cincinnati, Ohio. I'm Sam Corder. I'm Alex Argo. And I'm Alex Robinson. This is episode 101. Yeah, there's our second episode in triple digits here. How are you guys doing this week? Pretty good. We're still kind of waiting on um, betas to, to wrap up and a few different OSs to go gold. That should be happening any day now. Yeah, you'd think so. Yeah, I think yeah. we're, you know, as we're recording this, beta 7 on iOS, and uh, they just had a beta 8 for macOS today. Uh, presumably, that's ahead of a new hardware release that'll probably come out before this this uh, recording is available. Yeah, that's an, it's an unusually high number. Yeah, there's a couple of days in a row where I feel like I was... Like three days in a row, I was talking to someone and I needed to check something on my phone and I'm like, oh, I'm waiting for it to do this 400 megabyte update again. Uh, let me get back to you in 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah, I have not actually participated in the betas this time. It's not quite normal for me, but... Yeah, I kind of held off on my devices just because I, I needed uh, to be able to do some testing uh, without getting on a beta Xcode. I think the reason I installed the beta was because I saw that the circles were rounded when you launch apps and the transition looks different now, which is a stupid reason to install the beta, and I'm regretting it now. My son showed me a feature. Uh, The alarms now have, there's like a a set of alarms uh, for sleeping or alarm tones that are less uh, obnoxious, apparently. Yeah, they're supposed to be gentler uh, sounds to wake you up. Oh, I need I need the most obnoxious thing ever to wake me up. I don't know how that helps anyone. I guess, I guess maybe it helps your son. Uh, you prefer to be soothed awake? I do. Or I should say my wife doesn't want to be annoyed by <laughs> my enough. alarm. By you hitting the snooze button over and over. Yeah, I, I never snooze. I usually wake up before the alarm, so it's usually not an issue. But if I forget to turn it off. That that harp or you know the default one, yeah. Pretty much any alarm that you hear over and over again, that means you have to like leave a nice, comfortable bed uh, to you know to walk the dog or whatever. It's gonna um, you know eventually it's gonna get tiresome. Yeah, I I'm a high functioning sleeper, so I, I've been known to turn off my alarms and and go right back to bed and not have any clue that I did it. Yeah, I'm an expert at sleeping too. <laughs> <laughs> like I'll even I've got a Google Home device in my bedroom and I'll sometimes tell it to wake me up at a certain time. It never does. Or at least I don't think it does. I guess I could I can talk in my sleep pretty well too. But uh yeah, I did see an interesting thing on Facebook and I don't want to get too much off the topic here, but they had this product that was advertised and it's a wristband thing, kind of like a Fitbit. But it'll actually send you an electric shock if you don't wake up on time. So that was pretty cool. I, I really considered buying that thing. Cause it, it's one of those things, too, that monitors your sleep cycle and then tries to wake you up at the opportunistic time in your REM cycle. Yeah, I had one of those jawbones a while ago. and they had a, It would vibrate to wake you up. So it was probably fairly similar to shocking you. But Yeah, yeah this one will vibrate first. And then if you don't get up, it'll shock you. 
Oh, that's pleasant. <laughs> yeah. I might need that, actually. So one other thing I did want to mention before we got into our main topic was uh, I've been watching the rumor sites, and they've been talking a bunch about whatever this new iPhone's going to have, whatever. We'll see what that is. But there's been a lot of rumors lately about Apple and their AR stuff. So I'm starting to get a little bit hyped here for DubDub. Maybe so something cool will actually happen. You do think we'll see something this year? Because up until now, you've been pretty confident that... Uh, it's going to be another year. Well, I'm, I'm probably getting hyped too early, and there probably will be nothing at Dub Dub this year. Um, but it, it seems like what the rumors say is there won't be like a standalone device anytime soon. Um, but potentially we'd have like a kind of like you know Samsung's Gear VR, uh, some type of holder that you could put your your phone in. Uh, it, it's kind of similar to that thing we were talking about a couple episodes ago, I think. A capital bridge, so the it's basically just like a a headset that has a mounting spot for the structure sensor from a capital, uh, and they have like an SDK and stuff for it. So I'm hoping Apple will have something kind of their version of that, where maybe it uses the you know a dual camera and whatever the next iPhone has or something like that to, to get like stereo input, so they can. 3D map things and do their AR stuff like Tim Cook has been talking about forever. And this will probably be only for the Plus, if any. <laughs> Which is no problem for me, although I, I wonder if they decide to actually do something AR-related, if they'll add dual cameras to the to the regular-sized phone, or if it'll be on that fancy new phone that's... They might. I mean... Kind of like in-between sizes. It, it seems like the, the trend has been, for the short period of time we've had the Plus phones has been there's this feature that's only on the plus and then the following year next year yeah we see it come down to the next level but you know when you when you start looking at the plus and then you add in um you know more storage it's you know we're we're definitely approaching like around that nine hundred dollar thousand dollar range for a phone Oh, that's right. They the rumors keep saying that whatever this new phone is is going to be over a thousand dollars, and the new Samsung phones are going to significantly undercut it in price. So we'll see how that plays out. Yeah. <laughs> so you're practically you're you know at that point you're spending as much on your phone as you would a MacBook. To be fair, people probably spend more time. An average person probably spends more time on their phone than their personal computer and do more from it, but. Yeah, it's, yeah it's, it's kind of interesting how those prices are approaching each other. It comes down to what people are willing to pay. Oh, very much so. Argo, you got a jet black phone, right? I did. Have you noticed many chips in it or scratches, or are you completely all cased in? Um, there was a couple, you know, scraps and, and scratches and stuff here and there, but after I cracked my screen for the second time, I had to put it in the case. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that poor was, phone. Yeah, it was bad. The first time I cracked it, I had, I paid full price, and luckily the second time it was a hairline crack from one end to the other end, so it got replaced for warranty. But I was like, nope, not going to do it. Although, I, I guess one thing is it probably wouldn't make any sense to do it at this point, but if you uh, if you want to, you can now do Apple Care Plus for up, up to a year after your purchase. So after your until your original warranty is up, you can do Apple Care Plus. That was a new thing I saw that they put out there. It's kind of interesting. Yeah, and you know, it sounds like you definitely get your money's worth um, 
on your phones when you get the Apple Care. Well, but it, yeah, I still don't think I would. Well, you you probably <laughs> you probably have those issues well, more within that first year anyway. So yes, it, yeah, it's all first year stuff. So yeah. <laughs> you're getting a new phone every year. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I did sit out the seven. I've been been holding strong on that one. Had no really reason to upgrade. Yeah. Whenever it is this fall, that'll be I'll get that one. So, what are we gonna talk about this week? I think we we promised our our listeners last last time that we would be talking about accessibility. Uh, so yeah. I think we should talk about that. All right. So, man, accessibility is kind of this this big overloaded term. There's a lot of things that go into it. If, when you look in and your settings. Um, the settings app there's a lot of different accessibility options in there pretty much all of them have programming options behind them or at least things you can take advantage of i think though most people when they think about accessibility the first thing they think about is like the voiceover the siri talking to you and everything there's a there's a couple easy ones though for the most part like if you have a hearing impaired user and your app plays a lot of sound then you you probably don't want the user to rely on sound cues alone, which I can't really think of any app that does that. Do you, can you guys? I mean, most most apps have at least some visual cue that something's going on. Yeah, I mean, there's the, uh, I mean, not strictly audio, but, you know, your example with Siri, like, it, you know, we tend to rely on the tone to tell us that it's listening, it's responding. Oh, that's true. Alarm apps, I guess, would be another example. Yeah, I mean, yeah. we usually have vibrate, on the phone but when you're on a uh i'm not really sure you don't really have much of an option on a ipad or an ipod touch because they don't have the uh um, the haptic sensors and stuff yeah so that's just on the phone so i'm i'm not sure what an ipad would do in place of an alarm i guess it would be more visual rather than uh, audio at that point you wouldn't but you you wouldn't have the option for vibrate yeah and personally, for me, I usually have my phone muted, so and unless I'm getting an alarm sound, it, it doesn't make a noise. I know Argo used to have his uh, um, head accessibility turned on that used the LED flash when he got a message or a text or something. Oh, uh, yeah, that's so annoying. <laughs> yeah. I didn't realize that was accessibility. I thought that was just a cool feature that one of the phones got yeah. and turned it on. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure that's accessibility. Yeah, it's accessibility. Um, and there's even things in there. Like, there's a bunch of tweaks. Like, there's there's so many different knobs to turn and twist. Um, you know, the users can make buttons more buttony. Yeah. yeah. Basically put an outline around them and, you know, change text sizes. And uh, for, you know, you might might not be, uh, you might have poor vision, not, not a complete lack of vision. Uh, so I think turning up the... Font size is definitely a common, common thing, and uh, I know I've been burnt by that before. Not thinking, you know, just using a bunch of default fonts and uh, standard controls, and uh, then the uh, CEO happens to have bumped up the font, so text starts getting truncated. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, cause just didn't anticipate uh, people bumping fonts up. So, um, yeah, there's a there's a lot to consider. Yeah, there's there's plenty of people that instead of putting on glasses or maybe their their vision is 
uh, was it farsighted, I guess, and they can't see up close very well, so, but they don't want to wear bifocals or whatever, and so they'll pump up the, the font size. I've seen that before. Some, some apps do better than others with that. Messages does pretty well, except that I don't think the keyboard ever bumps up in font size ever. And I guess that'd be a good, that'd be a, actually a good useful keyboard for people. A third, third party, party. Key, keyboard <laughs> that had giant keys on it. Hmm. I'll be right back, guys. Make it happen. <laughs> yeah, that's actually not I'll a bad idea. I'll put Sam's new keyboard app in the show notes of this episode. <laughs> I have no idea how to go about making a keyboard. It's so many different languages and layouts. But anyway, so yeah. So, so for hearing impaired, is there anything else... Other than, like, we've talked basically about, like, some type of notification, like alarms and stuff like that. What what else would you have to do for a hearing impaired user? Well, if you have a video in your app, it should have closed captions in there. And your video player, if you're not using something like the the one that's built into AV Foundation, you should provide a method to turn on closed captions. Yeah, I think what you mentioned something there that's super important with accessibility uh, at least on iOS, maybe less so on other platforms, but Apple gives you a whole bunch of stuff for free. Uh, you know, when it, when the iPhone came out, there is all these, I remember hearing all these stories about people who were blind who were like, for the first time I can, like, use this, use this device, this computer-type device. It's so much better than, you know, PCs and their screen readers and stuff like that. The key takeaway is most apps get most of the stuff for free, but as as soon as you start doing super custom stuff, that's when you start to break things. <laughs> See, I think that's a fallacy. No? Yeah, I think people believe that because Apple has been so good at it, especially in their own apps, and the, the programming support is really good for it. But if you just take your average app that's bit that you've developed and you turn on voiceover you will find it to be a horrible experience so yeah apple will read out all these controls for you but it doesn't always make the the messages in there they don't always make sense if you have yeah. a an image it'll go over that and it'll just tell you the file name as the image instead of some kind of helpful text and if you name your images something like tb underscore something something it's going to actually say tb underscore for the for the name of that tab so it, it it makes a best effort attempt based on what information it has but usually that's not enough to make right. it actually usable well and i think part of that is you know is the iphone's been out for a number of years maybe it's just the fact that apps have gotten more complicated i feel like especially if this was like 2010 or something or 2009 most stuff would just work pretty well because people were just happy to get an app out there with just plain UI kit on the store, and it was just buttons and tables and stuff like that. And that stuff all just works. Now, I, I think you're right that uh, new more more and more apps are getting complicated and more easy to break stuff when they try to... I still think it, it stems from trying to do your own custom stuff, though. Like, Not uh, in much. my Well, in my, in my apps, every... It seems like there's once a year where I'm like, all right, I'm going to try to figure out how to make my games accessible for for blind people. And I spend a couple hours and then I give up because 
I can't quite figure out what the right way it is because everything's just like one custom view essentially, except for you know a few UI buttons and uh, some ancillary screens that, that use UI kit. Uh, so maybe that's been my struggle. Um, yeah. Maybe that's just my specific scenario. I definitely ran into that. We had a custom component that users could interact with with touch. And uh, we had some um, visually impaired users that couldn't use the app because of that. So we were able to, it took, definitely took some work, but we were able to, to enable uh, voiceover on that. Uh, so it would be a lot more useful. And they could still use that touch control to, uh, to interact with it. Yeah, there's a, a lot of things like if you turn on voiceover, it's going to basically override just about every gesture recognizer that your app has. So things like scrolling is different. Um, you really can't swipe on things because you're swiping from the, I always get this mixed up. I think it's, you're swiping right to left to go to the next item that's in the, the list of accessibility items that are on a screen. Uh, so all of those swiping things are gone. Like if you want to activate a button that's been focused, then you double tap on the screen. Um, it, it's a, I'll tell you one thing, one cool thing. If you really want to see how bad an app work works under voiceover, um, you can tell in settings, you can tell voiceover to turn the screen off when voiceover is on. And then you can set your home button to be a triple tap to enable voiceover so that you'll triple tap your home button and your screen will go blank and then try to use an app. And if you can swipe through it and get an idea of what's going on, then then your app might be okay. And but it's really difficult sometimes. Yeah. And one of the considerations that I think a lot of people don't think of initially is they'll be overly verbose with their hints or labels, trying to be as descriptive as possible. And in reality, you know, when you're swiping through controls on a screen, you're trying, you're swiping pretty fast. You know, people who interact that way on a regular basis, they they don't necessarily want the uh, the very descriptive labels. They they want to be able yeah. to navigate quickly. Right, and there actually is a, I think it's an accessibility hint property. Yeah. That you can give expanded text so that if the the user happens to to kind of stay on that or hover on that particular uh, view that it'll then read out a secondary description but things like table cells if you have four or five things in your table cell you don't want to have the user to swipe through four or five things hearing this different description for each of them what you really want is just one concise description of what's in that cell and in this argo this is why also i think that people believe that iOS is really good out of the box, but when you put things in a table cell, it doesn't necessarily swipe through in the order that you want it to. And so you might hear something like you're swiping through like a retail app and it says $1.99 strawberries, buy one, get one free or something like that. And the things are in just such a discombobulated order that it's really hard to understand where that price is whether it's related to the strawberries or the 
the oranges below that in the next cell. It's, yeah, it's still probably better than having nothing or not being able to even navigate through the list. But yeah, I can I, I can definitely see how easy it is to to screw things up. So what other what other things should you do? I guess when you're trying to do voiceover to to make sure you get 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 things right. You guys have mentioned short um concise descriptions and hints yeah uh what else uh how do you how do you manage the order yeah how do you do that well okay so as far as navigation goes there's there's different ways that users will uh, a blind user will actually explore your app you know they'll do the the traditional swiping but after a while most of them get pretty good about understanding kind of where things are on a screen so they'll they'll if they open up a new app, what they'll do is they'll kind of run their fingers around the edges of the screen and up and down the middle, listening for what's there. And the phone will actually give hints, uh, audio hints that something is a uh, accessibility enabled view versus not. And uh, so they'll, they'll learn basically on the screen where things are at. So what that means too, is that if you have say this one little label on a screen and you're expecting the the blind user to to swipe to it they may never actually swipe to it they'll they may never swipe and they'll they may never actually even find it on the screen when they're roaming around exploring so you want to make sure that things are big on the screen and that in the case of that small label you might have that encased in another view that's larger and so you would put the accessibility hint that's on that label in that container view just so that it's more discoverable so that's that's one and then as far as the the swiping order iOS does do a fairly good job it's kind of like tvOS's focus engine where it starts from the top left and then works its way to the right and then end down from there but sometimes it's not perfect and in those cases, you can you can give iOS a uh, order, a list of, you can give it back an array of views that have accessibility information in them, and then believe that order that's that that array is in is where it'll swipe through to. But that can be difficult sometimes. I remember the app I used to work on, the cells would be laid out basically the same, but sometimes an image would be a little bit taller, so it would read the value on that image and then go to the text when it should have never even hit that image at that point. Oh, that's a bummer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know if it was because it was taller or or maybe the text was shorter, but something would just throw the engine off a little bit. So we ended up kind of having to hack some views around. Cool. So we've, we've talked about uh, kind of complete blindness or low vision. Is there anything else uh, specific to that, that that's good to look out for? Well, we we touched on the the, dy- the dynamic type part, and it's interesting too that in the in the U.S. anyway, there really is no um, legal definition of blind. So there's just there's legally blind, but that just means somebody who has some really poor vision. Uh, usually, people will have at least a little bit of vision, depending. So the dynamic fonts will help if you can allow them if you can make your interface so that the fonts can be bumped up to a really huge size. Uh, even older people, you know, they'll they'll want to run their their fonts at a larger size. 
Yeah. I've seen a lot of people that take their iPhone 6, 7 Plus and run it at the normal 6 resolution. Do you see that? I don't do that, but <laughs> I I mean, it lets you choose, so i got to imagine at least some people choose that option. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the dynamic text stuff is very easy to forget about, especially I, I've noticed like if I'm doing a quick app for something... You know, just like a like a hackathon type app or uh, just yeah. doing some quick feature. It's it's one of those things that you just got to remember to oh, use yeah. the text styles and use. Uh, well, they're kind of difficult to to programmatically do, and Interface Builder doesn't actually give you any help out of the box. You know, if you drag a new label onto a view, it sets that to whatever default size that label is. Which, that kind of sucks. I wish it would choose a, a dynamic font by default. Yeah, maybe iOS 11, right? <laughs> we can only hope. <laughs> yeah. Some new UI label enhancements or something. Mm. Uh, so is there anything else for, for low vision, or are we, are we good with that? Well, all right. This can be considered low vision. but uh, So there's roughly... 6% of the population that has a problem determining red from green colors. 13% of men, but which comes out to about 6% of the population. And there's actually some women, it's a very small minority, but there are some women that have color blindness too. And fun fact, in my family, there's, there's five kids, all boys, and I'm the only one who's not colorblind. It's so. crazy. <laughs> Well, it's weird because it is genetic that way, and I don't think I'm the mailman's child, but you never know, I guess. There is a small chance that one child won't be colorblind, but when my brothers approach an intersection where it's just got a single flashing light, they don't know whether it's a flashing yellow or a flashing red. Hmm. That would be really bad. <laughs> yeah, they, they take the safer option and just stop. But there's, there's things like that where if you're using color to, to denote some kind of state, you have to be aware that some of your users, a good portion of your users, won't actually be able to determine whether that's a red checkbox or a green checkbox. So you and I, and I'm guessing Alex, are you also not colorblind? I'm not, but my yeah. one of my two kids are. So is there a way for people like us who can see colors just fine to test their apps, or do you have to hand it over to a colorblind person? <laughs> there actually are websites where you can upload images, and it'll show you what that looks like to a colorblind person. Yeah, I used to use Xscope, and that has a f uh, some overlays that you can put on the simulator to simulate it as well. And you can pick the the different variations, because it's not just red-green. There's, like, yellow-green and... Uh, I think there's like three common variations. Yeah, there's there's different variations where you're red deficient or you're green deficient or you're red and green deficient, which I think pretty much everything just looks black and white to you at that point. But yeah, there's 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 those three different types. Yeah, my son likes to point out that he's not colorblind, he's color deficient. <laughs> That's fair. Although I just did a quick google search and it looks like ios 10 added some filters does it let you see it like someone who's colorblind or does it just change the colors so that if 
if you have a specific color blindness, then you will see it as a different color. So one of my brothers has an Android phone, and it actually does what it's supposed to do. It, it'll um, it'll work like these glasses called the like Enchroma glasses, which it'll just give the reds a little different hue, so that people can tell the difference. But I believe the the colorblind thing that's in iOS doesn't really work so well for that. Huh. All right. So it looks like yeah, it looks like the filter says it's for all those specific like deuteranopia or whatever. So whatever specific three types. But it sounds like that doesn't work then? That's good to know. So you really have to... I'm trying to find it on my phone right now like to, to check it. I'm in there, and uh, you know, it shows a picture of a bunch of uh, colored pencils, and you can pick the different filter, and you can see the, that the colored pencils look different uh, based on what you select. You can even select the grayscale or apply a color tint. Um, you can also change the intensity as well. Um, yeah, I I can't speak to whether or not it helps or not, but uh, you know I, I did definitely see a slight change. Well, it sounds like at the very least you should be testing your app in case whoever whatever colorblind person may not even know how colorblind there are. If, if they if they do, then they may not know about this option. So. Right. And I, you know where you need to look out is like, and you can use tools like Xscope to simulate it where you can see if there's enough contrast. And um, I know there are some tools as well that'll kind of warn you that there's not enough contrast. I feel like Photoshop has something in there, but I could be wrong about that. And I don't, you know, you also have the color shift or whatever it's called, night shift, the tints your screen. Yeah, that's the, the blue light blocking. Yeah, I, and that's not necessarily anything to do with color blindness, but you know, the colors do look different. So I don't know if that impacts testing or not. I don't know. I can't see a whole lot of red, green, colorblind people wanting to use that. But I could be wrong. So is there anything else we can do uh, to help out people with accessibility issues? Or is that is that the gist of it? So I, there's a couple of things. Um, there, in, the access, in the voiceover mode, there's this thing called a rotor. And you can take your two fingers and turn them. And it's kind of a... A dial and that'll give some different actions I never did explore that too deeply but I believe it's popular so those are for people who like don't have full motor control who can no. use some type of device no 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 this is actually while you have while you have voiceover enabled in an app um, you can actually take your fingers like you're turning a dial like on a, a radio or something, and it brings up this thing called the rotor. Well, right, but that's just isn't that just a simulation of some of these hardware devices that people with lower motor function have? No, it's all about vision. It's not about it's motor about function. Vision? Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. So there's different controls have different ways of interacting with them. Um, it it would be good to go through a little tutorial about how voiceover works. Uh, especially if you happen to enable it in your phone and then try to get around it, <laughs> try to get around in your phone to disable it because maybe you forgot to do the, the, the triple tap enabling in your accessibility options. Um, do you have a good good uh, tutorial to point people at or you just wish there was one? <laughs> no, there, there are different ones out there. I think even 
Apple, maybe the first time you turn it on will give you a, a, a little overview, but I'm not positive on that. It's been a long time for me. Also, also there are some different interesting gestures that, that are covered in the, in those documentation, in that documentation, like in, uh, in the iPad, if you have a modal and you take two fingers and then drag them in kind of a Z format, Z shape, like you're maybe like drawing a Zorro symbol or something, that's a universal dismiss gesture in iOS and it'll dismiss any modal. So if you're making your own fake modals or something, you'll want to enable, implement that kind of action as well. It's, it's good to be familiar with a lot of these things so that if you are doing your own custom views, that you can make your app blend in. You know, a lot of accessibility people will say, don't do anything custom because then it, it messes it all up. But you can do custom things and, and not be afraid of it. You just have to go a little extra to make it blend in with the rest of the system. Right. Yeah. I guess my the only thing I was saying earlier about uh, custom controls is that you don't get whatever the default support is for all the built-in stuff. And like you mentioned before, sometimes the default support is not good based on, you know, what kind of data you're filling up all the accessibility hints with, or even just the, the default ordering based on, you know, whatever rules they have. And like the size of your image may, may be messing things up or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. There is one other, uh, accessibility type and that's for people that have low motion capabilities and I've I've really not done anything with it so I can't speak to it very well but I know it people have these uh, like click devices and the phone will scroll through different views on the on the on the screen and then if, if the person wants to interact with it they'll click something maybe with their tongue or with their head, they'll nod their head or something and it does the action on that. But that's, that's not something I've gotten into. So, you know, once you've gone through the effort of adding some accessibility functionality, how do you go about testing it? Uh, especially for vision, there are local organizations that you can get in touch with, um, that, uh, will sometimes they'll do it for a fee or sometimes they'll if it's a nonprofit they're more than willing to help test your app for free just to kind of give you the once over i don't think it's something you have to continually do unless you make significant changes to your app but i know that at my previous visit job or client we went down this path and thought we were doing it right and then we actually had somebody who she wasn't completely blind she had some sight but for the most part she couldn't see anything and she just had all these different assumptions on how to use the app that we were not ready for so it's it's good to observe somebody using your app who is vision impaired yeah and would you say before you make too big of an effort trying to make your app more accessible to have somebody test it to give you feedback, tell you, you know, to kind of prevent you from building on top of bad assumptions. Especially as a as a indie or something, yeah, definitely. It's kind of a it's a bit of an iterative process, and I kind of think of it as, and same with translations. It's it's one of those things like you can 
make a good effort, but until you have real users giving you feedback, you know, even if technically the translation is accurate, you know, it may not be idiomatic. So it's, um, yeah, I think there's, there's always room for improvement. In terms of what Xcode or, or other tools that you have to, to identify and, and test issues, you know, what, what's built in, what, what can you do with the tools that we have? Oh, well, this is one area where the simulator does not do very well. It's actually pretty bad. So you're really going to have to just test on, on a device and turn on the various uh, accessibility options and see how your app looks and works. So Xcode 8 introduced the accessibility inspector. And, and to be honest, I haven't really looked at it. I I know they discussed it at WWDC, and it's supposed to have some improved tooling, but I honestly don't know uh, what it does for you. I thought that's been around for a while longer than just eight. There, there wasn't, there wasn't an accessibility inspector, but they made improvements in in eight. Okay, the the version I was using, I guess Xcode six and seven, maybe it just gives you a, a little floating bar on the simulator and it'll tell you basically what the accessibility label is for that view that you're clicking on and that's it. So you don't get any idea of how the navigation works or even how to like triple tap or, or do any of the accessibility gestures to interact with a view. It's, it's really, it was that version in Xcode was pretty worthless. Okay. I, you know, just kind of quickly looking at some of the notes from the the presentation. It looks like I, I don't know if it's new or not, but there's a accessibility audit that you can run, and I don't know how good it is, but uh, and looks like there's some tooling to simulate, you know, inverting colors and reducing motion, changing fonts, things like that that you can pull up with the accessibility inspector, and you can do that in the simulator and have that inspector right next to it so you can quickly test you know how's this look when the the font gets bigger or colors are inverted yeah yeah so and if you're if you're worried about whether this is a worthwhile thing to do the the blind community when they find an app that does accessibility well and is useful to them they're very vocal about it and supporting it and they will recommend it to other people in the community uh, and conversely, if an app is very bad at it, they will tell other people in the community too. Yeah, I, you know, there's also this, um, you know, other benefit for developers that probably worth mentioning is uh, adding the accessibility labels makes it easier to write automated tests, UI tests. As long as you're not putting things in there that your UI tests understand that your yeah. blind users won't understand. Right. And you definitely want to be aware that what you put in there could be heard by an end user. <laughs> right. Right. That reminds me of how the orange revolution in Ukraine started. So there, there was uh, somebody what? signed. <laughs> no, this is, this is true. This is an interesting right. story. Okay. So they had on the news, the national government news channel that there was some story and everything was okay, nothing was wrong. And they had a person doing sign language for the hearing impaired 
in the bottom corner of the screen. And that person was basically signing, no, it's not okay. They're lying to you. This is not true. <laughs> and that's actually how the Orange Revolution was kicked off in the Ukraine. So, huh, interesting. Yeah, fun little fact. But yeah, so be aware. You don't want to put my boss is stupid in some accessibility label because it might start you on a uh, firing revolution. And and maybe in the some future world where everything has, has gone gone horribly you can like make a news app that has like propaganda visually but if you turned on <laughs> voiceover the real yes. the real news will get out or something like that i That's think right. i think you might be out of something sam <laughs> <laughs> i'm sure the cia is already would already know about it by now the deep the deep news or something yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well on that note i think that's yeah. about all the time we have left this week uh so why don't you guys uh, tell us where we can find you on the internet. You can find me at AJ Robinson on Twitter. And I'm at Sam Quarter. I'm at Alex Argo, and you can find the podcast at Shared Inst. Uh, join us in our Slack by getting an invite at chat.sharedinstance.com. Uh, and join us next week where we're going to be talking about localization. <laughs> That's going to sound like it was popped in at the last minute. Yeah. Oh well. <laughs> like we have a whole list of these things in Argo. You're just gonna splice it in. Localization. Yeah. <laughs> Woo. All right. Cool. Looking forward to it. <laughs>